the Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him, and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth to all generations. today into your presence. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us today by your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on us, your people, your sons and your daughters, that you call us, that we belong to you. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, everything that we do and say this morning 
in this service of worship will be to glorify you, to raise up the name of our Savior. Lord, we pray that we would come to you as the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and who hung the stars. Lord, we pray that you would help us in our moments this morning of need, that as we are weak in faith, that you would build us up. Where we are discouraged, Lord, comfort us. And where we need faith, Lord, we pray that you would give it to us. And we pray now together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845. And I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 35. The Word of God says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As we continue to worship, turn in your hymnal to number 715. As we sing together, come ye thankful people, come.
be seated. And the children can slide over for the children's sermon. And anybody else that wanted to come up, you certainly can. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you. I've got a question for you, and I'll try to be brief with it, okay? I have a question for you. Does anybody know what happens when you die? You either go to heaven or hell. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The Scriptures teach that, don't they? That those who belong to Jesus go where? Heaven. Heaven. And if Jesus asks you when you get there, why should I let you in? How would you answer? There's a, a preacher that I, I love to listen to. He said that you have to answer this way. And this is the answer that all of God's children give. Nobody else comes in except for the ones who say, because Jesus said I could. Because he welcomed me here. And he said I could come. He said if I come to him by faith, that I could spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the only reason we get to go in. Can you imagine getting to heaven and saying, because I did good things, or because I was nice to people, or because I obeyed. None of those are reasons why God lets us into heaven. Those are all evidence that His love is in our heart. Because He's put it in our heart, we do those things. Do you know and believe and trust that today, dear little ones, that Jesus died for your sins, that He came into the world so that you would belong to Him, and so that you would never have to even worry about suffering in hell because you belong to Him. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. And I thank you for our covenant children sitting here and those who are even not here and for the little ones that are in the nursery. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for giving us the blessing of children. Lord, we pray that you would Help us as we teach our children to know about you that we would teach them all of the scriptures. And Lord, I pray for each little one here with us this morning that they would have faith and hope in you, that you would give them assurance even at a young age that they belong to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember what Jesus said in his word in the Bible, that those who belong to you go to heaven and that those who do not suffer punishment in hell forever. Lord, help us not to want to add or take away from what your word has said. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading out loud together Psalm 103. It's on page 821 in the green hymnal. Psalm 103. On page 821. And it does go over to page 822. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life 
who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness He made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him, and His righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven. Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all His Praise the Lord, all His works, everywhere in His dominion. Praise the Lord, Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 363, We Gather Together. Jeffrey, one of our missionaries through SRL, 
And we had a video that we shared earlier this month. And just want to point out as he uh, shared that he will be finishing up his dissertation, Lord willing, at the end of the month, next month. And we're going to pray for him this morning that the Lord would give him rest. That he would be able to rest in hope in what the Lord has done for him and that he will accomplish everything that the Lord has for him in the Lord's timing. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as people who are sinners, people who are weak and needy, and who come to you as the Almighty God. Lord, we come to you asking for strength and for faith and endurance. As we just sang, Lord, we pray, make us free. Make us free from the love of things that would cause our hearts to not be eclipsed by the truth of the gospel and the love of Jesus that was shed abroad in our hearts, our great Savior who came and died on the cross for sinners, that we might repent and believe and have hope in You. Lord, we pray that You would help us to be free from the love of things or free from distractions, free from other cares that might cause us to believe that You are small and that other things are big. Lord, we pray for those in our church family who are going through health struggles at this time, and other trials and tribulations that are just part of living in this world. Lord, we acknowledge that and we understand it, but our hearts go out to one another as we see each other suffering and struggling. Lord, I pray for those who would love to be here today but can't be because of sickness or some other providential hindrance in their life. And Lord, I pray for those who are here, who are not here but could be. Lord, we pray that you would join our hearts together in love for one another. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, and we pray that as we gather as families in our homes or in one another's homes this week, that we would be mindful of the great blessings that you have poured out on us. And as we join our hands together around tables to enjoy a meal, Lord, may our hearts not be set on a wonderful plate of food, but may they be set on your promises. And Lord, I pray for those who would be in our midst who do not know you, that we would take an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them, even in how we treat them, how we talk. Lord, we pray that you would call the lost to yourself and by your will, Lord, use us to share the gospel with them. Lord, I pray for Jeffrey that you would bless him even this day with rest. As he Sabbaths, Lord, I pray that you would help him to be able to lay down the labors and cares of this world that he would be able to devote his time and his energy to his studies, but that he would enjoy the Sabbath rest that you give to your people. Lord, I pray that you would also sanctify for him time in the next few weeks to finish his dissertation, that it would be done. And Lord, I pray that you would bless him in the midst of those cares to also be building up his heart in love and affection for your people. And Lord, we pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that he might serve the church and preach the gospel that lost souls in Colombia would hear of the truth of the gospel and believe in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.
I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. And as you're turning there, I just want to say a special thank you uh, to our children for uh, blessing us this morning and uh, for Miss Callie and Miss Jenny spending time uh, with them on Sunday evenings in children's choir practice. Thank you, Callie, for sharing your gifts and Jenny uh, for sharing your time and your talents with us. The book of Psalms, chapter 23. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we're concluding our series on Psalm 23 entitled The Good Shepherd. And we're looking at the end of verse 6, and the sermon is entitled, Dwelling in the House of the Lord. David ends in full assurance of faith, as we read in Hebrews 10.22, that the God of love will welcome him home. Was this not the promise that Jesus made to the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 3, when He said that He was going to heaven to prepare a place for them? And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going now to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be with me. That's the promise and hope of the gospel. This is the Christian hope. Not that life will just simply go on and on and on. But that we as God's people, as his children, we shall be with the Lord always. The promised land that God gave to His people in the Old Testament was a covenant gift. It was a shadow and a type that was to point forward to the heavenly rest that God's people would enjoy with Him in His presence. They would have both peace of conscience, having been delivered from their sins, and delivered from the guilt of their sins, and having peace with God. They could now be in His presence And not fear judgment, not fear hell at all, or being cast out from God's presence. In Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, it says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. That is the promise and the hope of God's people. Psalm 27 says that the Lord hides us in the cleft of the rock. Being in God's presence, being with Him and being safe is the hope of Christians. We don't hope simply to be able to not go to hell. We hope that we may be in God's presence and that we are acceptable. As we think about eternal security, what happens to a person when they die? It's why I asked the children this morning... What happens when we die? You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's not any other option in the Bible. 
It might not be politically correct to say it, but that's the truth. The Bible says it. So I want to ask you this morning, and I want you to think through this. This is a question from our larger catechism, part of our constitution as a Presbyterian church. Can true believers be infallibly or without any possibility of being wrong? Can true believers be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and that they shall persevere therein unto salvation? In our larger catechism, the answer to question 80 says, Such as truly believe in Christ and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before Him may, without extraordinary revelation, by faith grounded upon the truth of God's promises, and by the Spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promises of life are made, and bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God, be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and shall persevere therein unto salvation. We believe that it is possible for believers not only to know that they are saved, but to be assured of it in their hearts. Not because they point to anything within themselves or anything that they have in their hands because they have worked hard or anything that they hope to do, though yet imperfectly. We believe that the assurance of our salvation rests alone in the promise of God. So when we think about death, when we think about what happens after someone dies, yes, there may be sorrow temporarily because we are separated from them. But we believe by faith as God's people that when we die, we go immediately into the presence of our Savior and He welcomes us. That's what David is talking about here in Psalm 23 at the end. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He believes and hopes in the sure promise of God that when he dies and goes home to heaven, that God will be there welcoming him in. You are home. Come and rest. Do you believe that today, dear believer? So this morning I want to ask three questions of you. Number one, what is the basis or what is the foundation of Christian hope? Number two, who is it for? And lastly, do you have it? So number one, what is the basis or the foundation? What is it that props up Christian hope in the gospel? And as we think about Psalm 23, I've tried to talk over the last several weeks as we've looked at it. I've tried to to weave in different parts of David's story that you would have a sense not of a man who could write a wonderful poem like he did in Psalm 23, but so that you would see him as a man, as a person with a sinful nature like you and I have. That he made mistakes, that he made decisions that he shouldn't have, that there were times when he didn't have faith, when he wasn't full to overflowing. The one who sings beautifully in the Psalms sometimes wept over his sins. So I want to ask a question this morning. How is it possible that a man like David, a man who committed adultery and who was complicit in the murder of the woman's husband, how is it possible that a man like that can have confidence to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord? I want to give you two reasons. I'm sure there are many others, but I want to give you at least two. The first is because God works for His own glory. 
In Psalm 23, verse 3, several weeks ago, we read that He, God the Father, leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. When you doubt, dear believer, that your Heavenly Father loves you, or when you doubt that when you confess the same sin over again for the third or fourth or for the fourteenth time, will He hear me this time? Will He forgive me? Will He continue to love me? Remember, He works in your life for your good, but He does it first for His own glory. Because He does it for His name's sake, He must be faithful to Himself. And because He has set His love on you, He will be faithful to you. In the book of Deuteronomy, God says these words about the nation of Israel, about His people. Deuteronomy chapter 7 Beginning in verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God. The faithful one who keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. This is the truth of the Gospel that God works for His own glory. A second reason why we may have a basis or a foundation for Christian hope is because of the wonder of God's mercy and love. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, as if He was running on a field and setting His foot and running the opposite direction, He plants His foot. After Paul has been arguing for several verses about the sinfulness of man, he says, planting that foot, but God. It's the best conjunction in the Bible. Who is rich in mercy. Because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What is the basis of our Christian hope? It is the wonder of God's mercy and His love. J.B. Phillips wrote in His New Testament in the modern English, he says, Love knows no limits to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. When you have failed, when you have fallen, when all of your best efforts are not enough, when you have no strength, when your faith is gone, the love of God does not fail. Be comforted, dear people of God. Believe and hope in Him. It is true. The Bible says it. It is sure. Not because you feel it. Not because you walked an aisle. Not because you were baptized or dunked in water. But because the Lord God Almighty says it. Though my heart may fail me, yet He is true. That's the hope of the Gospel. Number two. Who is it for? Who is this kind of hope for? In the Bible, it says that this kind of hope is for sinners, not for the righteous. 
In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, The sick have no need, or the well who have no need of a physician. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This great hope and love of God is for people who have an apprehension of their sinfulness and the ugliness of it before a holy God. Do you remember the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Before Jesus told this story, it says the, the gospel writer Luke tells us that Jesus said these words because there were people who had gathered themselves to Jesus and they were there hoping to justify themselves because they trusted in themselves. And so as the Pharisee and the tax collector walk into the temple, they're both there to pray. And the Pharisee says, Lord God in heaven, thank you that you didn't make me like those other people, like those sinners, those extortioners, adulterers, and even this tax collector. Thank you that you didn't make me like him. But do you remember what Jesus said happened next? But the tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The gospel, the hope of the gospel is for people who have an apprehension that I am a sinner and I don't deserve it. And isn't this what many people think that Christianity is today? I'm a good person. That if you tell them you're a Christian, they believe automatically that you're saying you're better than them. You say you have hope, you believe you'll go to heaven? What kind of person says that? What kind of person thinks that? But isn't it true that it's not the smug or superior nose that would look down at other people? Not that kind of person is a Christian. A Christian is one who says, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Have mercy on me, your will be done. And one of the greatest stories that Jesus ever told about who this Christian hope is for is the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son in Luke chapter 15. It says just before this parable was told that the Pharisees were upset and they accused Jesus saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't always speak to the things that He knows people are thinking or what they're saying. Obviously, it's not that He didn't have knowledge of it, but He chose not to speak to it directly. He told them a story. Who else would Jesus have sat down to eat with? Who else would He have been welcoming? There are no righteous people in the world, according to God's Word. You may know the story. Maybe you remember it. The prodigal son, it says that a a man had two sons and the younger came to his dad and said, Dad, could you please divide up everything that you have? Give me my inheritance now, which in their day basically amounted to telling his dad, I wish you were dead. Could I please have what's coming to me? I need to move on with life. And so his dad did it. And a few days later, he left and he went to a foreign land. And it says that he wasted Everything that his dad had given him. He wasted all of his inheritance with prodigal living. And a great famine arose in the land that he was in. And he was hungry. And he had nothing to eat. He had no money to buy anything. And so he hired himself out to someone who owned a field. And as he went and fed the pigs, he was aching in his heart. I wish I could have something like this to eat. And it says that when he came to himself, he said to himself, Self? 
I could go back home and hire myself out for the people that work for Dad have more to eat than I do here working. So, he gets what little bit he has together and he goes home. And do you remember what it says when he was still afar off? What did the father do? It says that he was full of compassion and he ran to him. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And he rejoiced. And the son who had worked on this great speech, who had rehearsed how he was going to beg his dad to hire him on staff, just make me one of the lowest, dad. It doesn't matter. I just need a better place to live than where I was. And he won't have it. The dad can't have it. He says, no. Put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. And by the way, you servants, go and kill the fatted calf. For this my son who was lost is now back home. That is the love of the Father for you and for me. Jesus came and died for sinners. He did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. But before we move on from the prodigal son, I want to remind you something about another son in that family. And maybe you identify here this older son who had been home ever since his little brother left. He had been there doing exactly what a good son would do. He followed all of the father's instructions. He, he always attended to the chores. He was careful to be there when dad said be there and to be out in the field when dad sent him. And he's out working. And as he approaches the house, he hears a commotion and noise and he, he gets one of the servants and says, what in the world is going on? And after he heard that your little brother is back and your dad has killed the fatted calf, what did he do? Did he clean off his shoes and wipe his face and go in and embrace his brother? No. It says he burned and he basically sat on the stoop and refused to go in. I'm not going in there. And here again, this father comes out after another of his sons. Son, what are you doing? And this older brother is is burning so much. And I don't know if it's self-righteousness as much as it is utter unbelief. Dad, how could you do this? He's already basically told you he wishes you were dead. Now he's back and this Johnny-come-lately gets to come in and you're celebrating him? And by the way, I've been slaving for you my whole life and you've never even given me a goat to celebrate and make merry with my friends. He literally says, I've slaved for you. And he says, your son came back. He doesn't even call him his brother. Your son came back and you killed the fatted calf. And what does the dad say? Your brother who was lost and dead is now back. How could we not celebrate? Do you believe, dear believer, that the Father rejoices over you. Because Jesus finished saying that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. Who is this hope for? Who is this great Christian hope for? It is for sinners. But it's also for those who persevere in the faith, clinging to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, I shared this at Super Seniors this week. It says that we are believers are being built up into a house, a house of the Lord Jesus. It says whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope that we have firm to the end. Those who persevere in faith 
who continue to walk with Jesus, those are the ones who can have this hope. Not deserters, not people who walk away. Our persevering in the faith is demonstrated by living faith in Jesus. Having a changed life, being committed to God's church, loving our families, and having a deep desire to know Jesus. A desire to read His Word and to pray and take part in the means of grace. And I know some of you may be thinking, wait a minute. Now wait a minute. You just told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the prodigal son. Jesus loves sinners. I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. Why are you seeming to throw on me all of these extra things? Are you preaching a works-based assurance? No, I'm not. Please hear me. I'm not. But I am saying that those who belong to Jesus, because God's grace grips their heart, they continue to walk in it. They persevere. Even though life may be difficult or hard, they persevere. Even though they may not get in this life what they believe they are owed. Even though prayers may not be answered for years upon years. They continue in hope. They cling to Jesus. They don't do it in their own strength. Nobody has enough strength to cling to Jesus. That's why He came to die so that you could. Nobody would hold on to Him except by His grace. The only reason that any of us do is because He is holding us. It's why Paul said in Philippians... I don't believe I've attained yet. I haven't arrived. But what I do, I am continuing to press on that I may lay hold of all of the blessing that God has laid hold of me for. I continue to push. I continue to hope. I continue to believe. Even in the face of everything in this world that would say you have no reason to hope. I hope in my Savior. I see with eyes that see beyond what's in front of me. I know that one day He is coming again. Hebrews chapter 3, just later in that chapter, the writer says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The Bible offers no eternal hope to those who would say, I profess Christ, but live a life like the devil. There is no hope in that. There is no hope in that. You can, there is in, in America today an easy believism that would say, if you don't want to go to hell, just believe in Jesus. Just believe He died on the cross and that's enough. But that's not the whole Gospel. Jesus said in John chapter 3, we looked at it this morning in adult Sunday school, just after He said, for God so loved the world, in verse 16 of John chapter 3, He said, but men love darkness rather than light. Because when they come to the light, their evil deeds are exposed. That's the reason many people don't want to follow Jesus. They don't want to give up the deeds of darkness. And every time they come to church, they're reminded, there's something of me that I have to give up. And I love this more than I love Him. And it's a reminder to them of it. Believe it, it's true. Sinfulness is deceiving. And it grips our hearts. Jesus came and died that we would be set free from it. How in the world can you hope to have freedom while keeping one foot in the world and hopefully one foot in the church? My goodness. Believe and hope in Jesus alone. Not in anything that you can do. So the last question I want to ask this morning is do you have it? Not do you have a certificate that says you were baptized in the church or do you have a copy of a record that says you're on the membership of a church? Even this church. But do you have hope in Jesus? 
that goes beyond death, do you have hope in Him? And if you do, dear believer, and I know there are many of you here today that do, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. I want to share a verse with you from 1 Peter chapter 5. Dear believer, but may the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Be encouraged, dear believer. Jesus one day will come again and receive you to Himself. And if you die before then, you will go immediately into His presence. And you will be separated from sin forever in His home. In His house, you will be home. But if you would say today, no, I don't think I have that hope. I don't think that I truly believe that Jesus is who He says He is. Or that it's even possible to know that I can belong to Him. The Word of God says that today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37, that whosoever would come to Him, He would in no way cast out. Today is the day of salvation. You are not promised tomorrow. You may not even make it home. That's the reality of life in this world. Repent and believe. Call upon the name of the Lord. He is just. And He will save those who come to Him by faith. Lastly, I want to ask one other question. And it's another one I've added. So I I admit, mea culpa. Is it possible that there are times when true believers, those who are truly the elect, may doubt that they're saved? And is it possible that I might wonder if I'm saved and yet I may still be? Our confession in in the wisdom, the Westminster Divine said yes. That assurance of grace and salvation is not the essence of faith. There may be times when you doubt After the enjoyment thereof of our salvation, we may sometimes be weakened. And through many distempers, sins, temptations, and even our own desertions in faith sometimes. Yet God's people are never left without such a presence and support of God to keep them from, to keep them sinking into utter despair. Basically what the divine said is, your assurance of salvation is not salvation itself. There may be times when you doubt. The Apostle Paul wrote this in the book of Romans. That though my conscience may condemn me, and though I may wonder, He is the one that I rest upon, not myself. And so may you, dear believers in Jesus, be able to say, as the hymn writer did, I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in Him a resting place, and He has made me glad. May you rejoice and your family rejoice this week in thanksgiving that God has made us part of His family. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these weeks to go through Psalm 23 to be built up in our hope in You. And Lord, just as David is and was a sinner, You called him to Yourself. And Lord, we trust and believe that You are the same covenant-keeping God who sets Your love on people today. And we cry out to You today, Lord, saying thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your sacrifice. And as we sang, we come to You as thankful people. And we pray, waiting, Lord, bring the harvest home.
And on the appointed day, Lord, bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 98. Now we thank, now thank we all our God.
Father in heaven, we dedicate now to you our tithes and our offerings. We offer them to you, Lord, with the heart of faith and hope and trust in believing that you, Lord Jesus, will use them for the sake of the spread of your name, that the glory of Jesus might be spread abroad. And Lord, we do so by faith, knowing that you will provide and continue to provide all of our needs. We thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. the benediction of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.